I'm Mike Vardy. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ConVo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now... You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. (music) 
On this episode of the Productivity Podcast, I speak with Kareem Bichet. He is the principal consultant at Living Orgs, and he helps companies become insanely efficient. His purpose at Living Orgs, which we're going to dive into why he started it in this episode, it's to empower organizations towards a clear, agile structure and stronger purpose. He's an industry-leading consultant in the areas of holacracy and building adaptive organizations. We dive into how he got into personal productivity because... Uh, there's so much goodness in this episode because we are both productivity uh, people. As we talk about G- GTD, uh, we talk about holacracy, we dive a little bit deeper into that. We talk about the spirit of productivity, so many cool things. It's always great when I get to talk to somebody that is as enthusiastic about personal productivity as I am. And you're going to hear that shine through in this episode. And if you're a member of the productivity community uh, over at Productivity, you're going to hear a bonus episode as well. I'll touch on that a little bit at the tail end of this episode. But for now, let's dive into my conversation with Kareem Bechet here on the Productivityist podcast. I'd like to welcome Kareem Bechet to the Productivityist podcast. Kareem, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Mike. I'm really excited to speak to you today. I appreciate the opportunity. No problem. So I want to talk about the idea of, of you've created this, this company called Living orgs. That's what it says, living orgs. So I want to dive into that initially to start because, uh, you know, your, your mandate is to help people become, you know, far more efficient. I mean, we're, like I said, before we started, you and I could probably talk for hours about productivity. You and I have studied, I mean, you've studied holacracy. I've spent some time in there as well. David Allen's getting things done methodology. He's been on the show a few times and, and, you know, we've had back and forth on that. What was the, the impetus to start living orgs for you? Um, so basically, I am a graduate of two very varying schools of thought. One is I went to business school and I also went to seminary uh, to take pastoral counseling. So it was actually quite a natural marriage of everything I'm uh, interested in, which is just what makes people tick? How do we work together? And then how do we do it in the most not just productive or efficient, but also in a way that gets us more aligned with our purpose, that um, where trust becomes an output of the system, not a requirement of the system, so that the more we work together and the way we work together, we, we trust each other more. And I think it was born out of, you know, like many um, good ideas born out of frustration. Um, I worked with companies that I thought were incredibly intelligent people, really well-meaning, really good. And it was amazing to me how much time was spent in meetings, just, you know, death by meeting, going on and on in circles around the same point without any movement forward. Um, or um, how many, you know, reply all 45, <laughs> you know, thread deep Gmail uh, thread I have to kind of like fish through to be like, was there anything actionable here? Or is it now just like, it feels feels like, um, you know, an endless monologue string of each, each one of us monologuing at the other three or eight people on this on the thread uh, with nothing actually getting done. And yeah, just out of that frustration, as I started learning more as a founder and as a, you know, a member of the team of the company called Dev Bootcamp, um, as I started learning more and developing these tools and being on the receiving end of them, um, yeah, I just got really excited about that specifically, like how, how do a group of people who already have a purpose, who already have an organization uh, organizational principle, how do we actually just get really excellent at this thing we call working together? What drew you to holacracy? I mean, I think I have a sense of it having known a bit, but I mean, just what you spoke about now seems to be one of the driving forces behind why holacracy seems to be something that you would promote. But not only that, I mean, you've you've obviously studied other areas of personal productivity. So I guess uh, the idea of going into an organization and saying, hey, here's Here's how I can help you. Are you bringing all of those different, um, you know, methodologies to the fr- to the 
to the front? Or are you kind of saying, hey, you know, we're going to use Holacracy as a base and then, you know, cherry pick from these different ones that you've studied? Um, I'm, it's the latter. Uh, I'm definitely, um, actually, no, sorry. It's the former apologies. Yeah. I'm, I, I definitely customize every implementation based on what the client wants. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, uh, to answer the beginning of your question, why I was drawn to Holacracy, just the potential of it. Um, some, some other part of me wants to call Holacracy just organization for adults. Right. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> where you take responsibility for your own, what they call tensions, like anything you sense, you should, you should feel the freedom to move forward and change it. You have the power to change anything in the organization within reason. People have the power to resist if that if they feel like that causes trouble. It's just it feels like a lot more adult relationship. Everything's more transparent, more clear, moving things forward. And but after working with Holacracy for a while, both as a client and two de- separate companies, and also as a consultant implementing it, I definitely saw that it wasn't a one size fits all for everyone. You know, distributed governance and Holacracy, I think, is. Um, quite intelligent, but I don't think is actually the best thing for all organizations. So marrying Holacracy with David Allen's getting things done, uh, bringing all of that into Asana instead of just using GlassFrog, and then also bringing things like OKRs, like, you know, more active feedback uh, practices and all these kinds of things into organizations just felt like, uh, yeah, every time I learn about something new, either as a client or a consultant, I find a way to integrate it into the system and offer that to my clients. And at this point, every client implements in an entirely different way based on what they need and based on the analysis we do together of their organization. Let's talk about this meeting thing you brought up at the beginning, because meetings are, are, are a pain point. And we know that with Holacracy meetings, there are, uh, and again, not all organizations, because there is some adaptability here, but with Holacracy, generally you get more meetings. They're smaller meetings, they're more focused meetings, but they, there are more meetings. How do you handle an organization that is is kind of driven by, you know, quote, status meetings and the big meetings and all that, and so kind of say, hey, here's how we're going to make them more, for lack of a better term, productive. Thank you. Great question. So I think to really handle an organization in that way, they need to be challenged on two levels, personally and systemically. So there's the system piece, which is just this is how we do business. This is, you know, it's such a natural way that we all work together, which is like, let's get in a room and kind of talk about stuff. You know, that's kind of the best we know how to do so far. Um, So you really have to challenge that system and really posit that there's a different way of moving work forward. But it also requires a personal challenge to every single person in the organization, depending what their relationships with meetings are. You know, some people relationship with meetings is I love meetings because I always have my voice heard. Um, You know, usually that's like men (laughs) higher up in the organization. They don't mind meetings. They get to talk whenever they want to. They feel heard. They get to speak their ideas. They interrupt whenever they feel they need to. They feel comfortable with that. But for a lot of people, um, they tend to go quiet in meetings and disappear and not, you know, nod their heads and then just wait to like do the work around the water cooler after. Um, And just like a very different, very different relationship. So it's again, pulling people towards, okay, meetings for the sake of meetings are going to stop immediately, including in Holacracy too. I challenge organizations not to just be going to Holacracy meetings for the sake of them. Mm -hmm. Like, how are we really moving the work forward? And um, to give you an example, um, at Dev Bootcamp, which was one of the company when I was one of the early members of, uh, I had a real case where I was the head, I was managing enrollment. It was a, you know, it started the rash of these developer bootcamps around the world. Dev Bootcamp was the first one. Um, And we had a mandate that we wanted to bring more diversity into tech. We wanted to bring more people of color, more women, more non-male identifying folks into tech. And at some point I came in with an issue to the, to the meeting and I said, hey, we actually only have two women coming into the next cohort out of 25. That's, that's my issue. 
And what happens generally, which is what happens in meetings, is ironically, the more people care about the topic, the less we can move it forward because everybody has something to say. Mm -hmm. And this happened to be an organization where everybody really, really cared about the issue of diversity and had years of thinking about it and dreaming about it and reading about it. And it became, again, like I said, a soapbox where everybody would like speak this like really eloquent, you know, impassioned thing that they had to say about diversity. And the meeting went on for like an hour and a half. And at the end of the meeting, I was like, I'm not any clear about what action I can take to actually solve solve our problem. And then, you know, I come back next week to the team meeting and I say, hey, I still have the same problem. We only have two women coming in. And everyone's like, I'm done talking about diversity. We need to talk about something else. And they're right. We can't just keep talking about one issue for the whole team every time. And that's so typical in teams that you can only get the work out or, or through if, if just the right amount of people care about it. You want one or two people to care about it enough, but not everybody. So instead, with, with things like the tactical meetings of Holacracy, which is a practice I dearly, I dearly love, is if I have attention, I need to clarify, is it clear who's supposed to do something about it? If so, I can ask them for an action. If it's not clear, I have a way of clarifying who should be responsible for it, and then I can ask them for an action. 99.9% of issues in organizations can be resolved with this two-step uh, two step approach if we're just disciplined enough about it. How do you uh, work with, and this, this I find a lot when I'm working with clients because I have my own methodology that I teach. Again, not unlike, you know, I mean, I think the best, uh, people who studied this for a long time, studied personal productivity and the product, is, is they find elements of every system that, that inspires them, right? That, that works <laughs> for them. So how, do, so how do you deal with people who are very set in their ways, especially, and again, I mean, I can refer to this, you know, when, when Tony Shea and Zappos adopted Holacracy and they basically said, you have X number of, of days to kind of get with the program or you, you're, you're, you're going to leave. This is the way we're going as well as other companies such as, you know, medium and, and others. And I've talked to uh, Tony Stubblebine before about this as well, where, where, you know, the idea was it didn't, it didn't take, how do you deal with those people who are, they 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 definitely have like you said earlier they have the best of intentions they really want to make this thing you know they they have they have this objective that they want to reach but when you bring some kind of system systematic change to an organization uh they they you know they 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 balk at it or they or they outright mm-hmm. almost reject it how do you deal with that got it uh thank you by the way i just um want to take a second and just really appreciate your questions mike thank you i really appreciate you're kind of really getting to the heart of the matter um i I'll, I'll tell you something i think that the way um i have a lot of love for the for holacracy and the organization holacracy one i genuinely do and i owe them so much of my career and my life and there is a particular kind of progressive uh approach to um, holacracy implementations mm-hmm. that is a cultural milieu, not, not, not just holacracy one, but I think a lot of consultants do that I disagree with, which is that holacracy is a more evolved system. Um, either you get on board or there's something wrong with you. You are somehow less <laughs> evolved or you're stuck in your old ways or you're stubborn or you like power or whatever, whatever the kind of um, implicit accusation is, the issue is with you. It's definitely not with holacracy which I think is actually, I mean, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a very progressive area. I'm a progressive myself, but I think this is also kind of at the heart of the the, the kind of downfall of the progressive attitude, which is that the system is so correct that anybody who disagrees with it is inherently wrong in, in and of themselves as a person. 
um, and they just need to catch up. That's what we need to just for people to catch up. I strongly disagree with that. One of the things I actually really love about holacracy, since you said like what elements I really love, is this idea of resolving tensions, not proposals. So you know, if you and I come in with clashing proposals, I say I think you should do this this way, and you say I don't want to do it this way, then all we're left with is just you and I power struggling or compromising, which is not very good either. Like me just like finding okay, you'll do it half this way and half my way, and neither of us feel good about it at best. But instead, if we get to the tension, if we get to the need behind it, like why do I need you to do things this way and why are you not wanting to do it that way? We can integrate, we can find a third solution that neither of us would have thought of that can resolve both our tensions even though it's neither of our proposals, which is something inherent to how holacracy resolves objections in governance, which I think is ingenious. I do the same thing in my implementations. If you and I are working together and you're you know, a CEO in a company or a middle manager or anyone, and you say, you know, I really don't like doing this GTD stuff, or I don't wanna use Asana, or I don't like this aspect of it. My immediate, my immediate response, even internally, isn't like, God, what's wrong with this guy? Why can't he just like get on board? It used to be that way. And I had to grow up as a consultant internally and not immediately jump to this person's holding us behind. Instead, through learning what your tension is, why you dislike it, I can find out what you can do enough that would stay in integrity with your own practices so that you don't feel like you're betraying yourself to a system that you don't believe in that still meshes with the spirit of the system and the spirit of GTD and the spirit of holacracy, which is more important to me than just following the letter of the law. You know, that's a great point because I think a lot of people, yeah, they get really hung up on the, they, they make it very binary, right? And even when I've chatted with, you know, David Allen and people are very said like a context is this and a context is this. And he's like, no, a context is, is it's contextual. If you're, if you, <laughs> if, you, if you're having, you and I are having a conversation and someone walks in and they have no idea what we're talking about, they're going to make up their own context around it until we inform them of it. And then mm-hmm. we can all get on the same page. Um, which is, which is, I want to dive into this other thing that you, you've, you've discussed, which is, organizing around the work, which is very objective, right? Versus mm-hmm. not around the people, which is very subjective because we all approach work differently. What there's a, there's a power to that. Can you expand upon that? Absolutely. I'd love to. Uh, yeah. The, one of the main principles of holacracy and one that I still implement is like you said, organizing around the work and not around the people. Um, so, you know, instead of saying, you know, this is Mike, this is Kareem, this is their position, this is what they're doing. We say, forget the people who are in the organization, forget entirely what their skills are, who they are, what they like to do or anything. What is ultimately needed for us to fulfill our purpose apart from the human beings that are here. And we create these discrete units called roles. Each role has a purpose and has a set of accountabilities that they're accountable for. And then people move in and out of these roles freely based on skill level and ability and performance and need and interest and all sorts of things. Uh, That causes so many pluses, Mike. It's really hard to describe how ingenious just that one move is. Mm. And I really, you know, commend Holacracy and Brian Robertson for like, you know, um, solidifying and coming up with that system so clearly. First of all, it really allows for power to be fluid, which I think I think power is really healthy. There's a big misconception out there, you know, really fueled by the media, which is that it says holacracy is flat. You know, they're like holacracy versus hierarchy. Do you can a non-hierarchical organization survive? Actually, holacracy is incredibly hierarchical. Yep. But it's but it's a hierarchy of roles, not of souls. So it says that right now, for example, in this conversation between you and I, Mike, you're asking questions and you're letting me talk on and on is because we're speaking about a subject that I am relatively 
more experience with, which is like specifically in this moment, holacracy. Mm -hmm. As soon as we start talking about a topic, any of the topics that you're a lot more experienced with, you should have more power. You should be able to make better decisions than I. I should listen to you. But if one of us were the CEO in a company, you would constantly be deferring to me, regardless of whether or not we're talking about the subject that I'm experienced in or not, which is frustrating both to people and to the CEOs themselves. Most CEOs that I know don't want to be bottlenecks. They don't want to make all decisions. They want to make strategic decisions, but they also want people to make the decisions that they're experts in. So what this allows, this role thing, is that you and I can very quickly and fluidly, and I've seen that in well-operating uh, holocratic structures, is that you and I can fluidly move. You know, we're talking about one thing, one tension. I take the lead, and I'm processing it, and I'm the expert that people are listening to. And then very quickly, it switches back to you based on the topic, and, and on and on. So that's one of the kind of magics of the fluidity of organizing around roles and around people. Another um, really powerful element of it is really ha making us as a team have an honest conversation about ourselves, what we're lacking and what we need. You know, again, to mention one of the companies I worked with, Dev Bootcamp, we spent two years before we any of us talked about marketing. You know, we're a bunch of like, you know, engineers and, you know, none of us like marketing. None of us want to talk about marketing. So we spent two years in a startup and none of us even mentioned marketing as a potential. It was like an afterthought at best. That's because we're organizing around the people. And depending on what we're interested in, we'll move towards. When you organize around work, you get to be a lot more transparent and honest about, wow, we need this. And right now we don't have anyone who can fill it or who wants to fill it, fill that role. So at least you, and maybe it still won't get filled, but at least we're all honest with ourselves about what's needed to succeed. We talked earlier about the spirit behind Holacracy, the spirit of, of, of having a proper framework. I want to talk a bit about, and I think... From what I know about Holacracy, because you're right, you, you, I mean, you are way more steeped in this than I am, is mm -hmm. there is an element of both qualitative data and quantitative data that comes along with it that, that a lot of people get hung up on. And I mean, we see this, you talked about this at the beginning of the episode, people are saying, okay, well, you know, that, that, that idea of inbox zero, which you and I both know is a term that's been kind of thrust around and, and misconstrued. And it, it's, it's almost like the, the idea that, oh, I got 383 emails and I'm down to zero. Yes. But what real work did you do? How does Holacracy <laughs> promote the idea of both qualitative work and quantitative work? Like, how can that be measured? Because I think it does it on both, but perhaps you can expand on that. Thank you. Um, so I'd say a couple, I mean, I'm going to separate my answer in two things. First of all, just for the work of the organization, how it separates qualitative and quantitative. I think um, actually that one of the potential, one of the really strong things that Holacracy does is it introduces the metrics every single tactical meeting. So once a week, every single team will look at the metrics of their circle and the numbers of the circle and get a sense of like, how are we doing? How are we advancing? How are we progressing? What I've heard a complaint about before is then that it becomes too quantitative. Mm. Uh, teams start getting too focused on the metrics. And like you said, something like inbox zero could become addictive, but, you know, command, you know, control A and then delete will take care of your inbox. And then what work has you, have you actually done? Um, and, you know, there are a thousand kind of like permutations of that for metrics. So I actually don't think in my personal experience that Holacracy has addressed that really accurately. So that's why I bring in uh, OKRs. Are you familiar with OKRs, objectives and key results? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I marry OKRs with the implementation of Holacracy so that we can connect objectives and key results so that each metric that every circle has, every team has, is connected to a um, 
a qualitative objective, just like what are we trying to do? Why are we trying? Why are we measuring these things? And we're only measuring them in as much as they'll let us know whether or not we've hit our qualitative objective. And then we align all the objectives of every circle with the objectives of its super circle. So you find a way of having these autonomous units, these autonomous teams, all aligning behind the kind of qualitative objectives of what they're trying to do, and then quantifying how they're measuring that instead of just measuring, because then you can just become very kind of myopic about data. Um, and to answer the second part of the question, which is how does the Holacracy implementation itself steer clear of that? I would say that's been one of the great downfalls that I've seen of Holacracy is that it becomes incredibly legalistic and quantitative in its own implementation. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who like studied at seminary, I, I've seen the downfall of religion that way when things become all about the rules mm. and all about the numbers and not at all about the spirit behind them or, or what created them. And I almost feel like there's a there's a place for some entity within any organizing principle that needs to be really strict about the rules. And I think that's what Holacracy One is doing. They're very strict about the rules. They're very strict about just do this this way, just do things the right way. There's the Holacracy way. This they always refer to like, it doesn't say so in the constitution. It doesn't say so in the constitution. <laughs> right. And I think there's room then for consult. And I think it's part of their intelligence, Holacracy One, that they've allowed for an ecosystem filled with consultants that don't work for them, like myself, is that now I get to focus more on the spirit. I'm like, nope, don't do anything if it doesn't make sense to you. I mean, do it maybe when you're learning it, like allow yourself some time to learn and grow, but don't get fixated on like, this is not proper Holacracy or this is proper Holacracy. Really, if, if we're going to talk about a system that empowers individuals, they have to be connected with the why they're doing something and do it for that why instead of just the rule itself. So would it be fair to say that the roles, so the different circles are almost the qualitative, where the qualitative lives initially? So for example, this the, the role of the marketing team is the qualitative, but but then once you get inside of that circle, that's where quantitative kind of takes over where all, so there's that disconnect between, Hey, this is why we're doing this versus, okay, now we're inside of this, you know, we're, 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 we're full on in the holocratic method and that's where the disconnect happens. Yeah, I think that's really astute of you, Mike. It is exactly where the qualitative lives. And because every role and circle, cause the circle is essentially just a large role. Yep. They, they operate the same way in holacracy. Um, Everyone has a purpose and the purpose is not like a vision mission statement where it's this kind of big, broad statement. It's a very unique, like, what does this role here to do? What would there be less of in the organization if this role doesn't, doesn't exist? And everything connects to that purpose. I agree with you. That is where the qualitative lives. It's like, what is the purpose here? Why do you exist? And how are you going to do that? So we're going to dive into more productivity nerdery in this bonus episode for my <laughs> members because uh, they, they, that's where the, the rubber really meets the road uh, in terms of, you know, because that fascinates me too, is the fact that you and I have studied this stuff and we've taken what we really like of elements of one and, and, and combine them and kind of either have taken existing frameworks and, and you know, kind of stacked uh, the things we like, from, like you said, about OKRs and, and GTD and stuff like that, and stack them inside of, of, of those, you know, systems that we kind of favor the most. What, mm -hmm. where, if people want to know more about what you teach, or even if they want to get started with something like Holacracy, they can see their, their organization is kind of, they're in this hierarchical uh, setup, and they're just, they're, they're either stagnation's happening, or company culture is suffering. 
Um, where can they get started uh, so that they can become more, you know, I mean, we live in a, in a world that moves so quickly and things change so rapidly. And like, for example, if, if someone's leaving a job, two weeks notice is not enough time anymore. You need, you need mm-hmm. much more, m- much more lead time. Where could people get started with this kind of thing? And then where can they find you to, to learn more about how, what you can bring to the table? Oh, thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you. one of the things I really like about the system that I implement, which I call the adaptive org, you know, the adaptive organization, is that you can take any or all of it. You know, you can just start. If all you do is you say, you know what, we're going to organize around the work, not around the people, and we're going to divide everything into roles with a clear purpose and very clear set of accountabilities. If you just do that, you will see tremendous change in your organization. Or if you just take the tactical piece to say, okay, uh, we're going to put all our work into Asana uh, or, you know, Rike or one of these kind of systems. I prefer Asana myself, Same. but depends on the, um, but we're going to put all our work into Asana and then we're going to create this very clear rule that no action gets requested anywhere outside of Asana. So if you request an action of me in any email or any, I've actually seen companies do Slack bots mm-hmm. that if if there's, if there's any word of like, please do, or any verb that is like a kind of um, an imperative tense verb, the Slack bot reminds you like, does that, is that an action or a request? Remember to put it into Asana. Yep. If you just do that, amazing the level of trust and productivity that will come up in your team. Because I know that you will never, I'll never lose a request somewhere in communication. It'll always be tracked and transparent in Asana. Or if you just do GTD, or if you just do holacracy meetings, it's just there's so many things that if you just implement that. Uh, but yeah, definitely, I, my preference is always. I mean, I I always have a one hour session for free with any client where we really talk about their organization, what they're stuck in, what's working well, what isn't, so that I'm not just kind of throwing them be like, use holacracy, use this, use that. We're actually really talking about what would best serve them and what could and customize the implementation to to suit their needs. So definitely, they can find me at livingorgs.com. Uh, they can book a free session with me there or find out more information about kind of how I approach implementations. Awesome. Kareem, thanks for joining me today on the Productivity Podcast. I had a great time and and members, uh, oh, it's going to get even deeper in just a few minutes. Just check out that bonus episode. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate, yeah, both your attention and also the questions you've been asking. I told you, it was a great conversation, and we dive in a little bit deeper for the members-only podcast. Head over to productivityist.com slash membership, and you can learn more about how to become part of that. It's a brand new offering that we have at Productivityist, and uh, we're just opening the doors. So uh, ch- go to that link, productivityist.com slash membership, and check it out. Uh, again, I always love talking to, to, to people who have uh, enthusiasm for personal productivity like I do. If you want to see all the stuff we talk about, read up on the uh, the you know holacracy and, and check out some of the links we discussed, check out the show notes in your podcast player or go to the podcast uh, link in our menu and look at either the most recent episode, if this is it. If you're a subscriber, it should be. If not, then you know maybe you should subscribe to the show. Uh, and if not, just look up Kareem Bechet uh, in your uh, search option on the website. You'll be able to find the show notes that way as well. Thanks to John Polster for producing this episode of the show. Thanks to all of my team for helping put together the research needed and just helping me make this podcast better. And by the way, I'd love to get a rating and review on the show as well. If you want to help make this show better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. I read them all. I want to learn more on how we can make the show better. My monthly theme for the month of May is to focus on the podcast. So uh, I want to have a lot of feedback so that when uh, I'm diving into that as my overarching focus in May, I have a lot to go with. So again, 
a rating review always appreciated thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast i hope you subscribe to the show i hope you enjoyed it and until next time i'm mike vardy the host of the productivities podcast and founder of productivityist reminding you stop guessing and start going